And welcome back to the High Five Podcast with Darren and Duncan. And I'm Darren. I'm Duncan. And uh, we're going to be talking about Future Fi uh, right. today. So, um, so but but like always, we uh, we like to talk about what's going on with with us. And so, uh, before we talk about Future Fi, um, Duncan, what's going on with you? What's going on with me? Oh man, so much as always. Um, let's see, where did we leave it last week? Last week, I had messed up my beautiful sound uh, going against your recommendations, <laughs> and I had tried the uh, eight ohm taps, and they just uh, just weren't doing it for me. These are the eight ohm taps on your uh, D one fifteen that's modded out. Huh? Yeah, the Audi Research D one fifteen Mark II that's completely modded. Um, so. You know, uh, you were right, and the the steps to get back were to just unravel. All, you know, it's like trying to find something that you'd lost. What where was the last time you saw it? You know, yeah, um, or you're lost in the woods in the snow, and what do you do? It's yeah. like you know, trace your footsteps. What was the last back. thing you did? Yeah. Undo that. What was the next to last thing? Yeah. Undo that. Yeah. So, yeah. got got back to. Um, forums uh got back to windham which was the um, direct stream operating system now um and dialed the subs back into you know sounding good for for that and you know all's well it's just it's just a magical um setup that i've got uh you know especially like i keep mentioning it's just a few hours after i turn it turn it on is when some of the magic really starts happening. Um, and it's just a bad thing for my output tubes and I guess eventually my wallet because I'm going to be buying output tubes, you know, twice a year, once a year. Um, but I like that. Uh, they're just 6550s and it's, it's you know, it's a small price to pay for, for how magical it really gets when I... You know, I'll be done with work and and get home uh, after picking up my kid at like four thirty, and I just immediately turn on the tube amp and expect that my best listening is going to happen around eleven p.m. or ten thirty p.m. And uh, I'm really lucky that that the the geometries of my house and stuff allow me to be listening to music at a, a level that's that's exciting and magical. Mm-hmm while people are like sleeping you know it's kind of amazing mm. so i've been able to do that your systems uh, uh excels at low level listening and it does it really yeah. does yeah. yeah so it's just been so much fun um but yeah of course uh okay so figured that out but then of course i need to i need to tweak some more i could just tweak a little bit more i'm i got it man i got it bad i got the tweak bug or something <laughs> But I was thinking, well, you've always had the tweak bug. What what I did with the isoacoustic, or the, uh, it wasn't isoacoustic. So I did with the vibropods and those. Um, oh, did I talk about that? That happened since the last week. Maybe. Oh yeah, no, we, we haven't discussed oh, that. Okay, yet. wow, so much has happened with me. Okay, <laughs> well, probably uh, soon after we recorded the last podcast, my shipment of. Uh, these D- Diversitech, like extremely industrial, you know, like vibration dampeners, which they use for very heavy, like um, air conditioning units and and any kind of thing with you know pump or something with a big motor on it. They just stick these things under it, and uh, you know, many of you have seen these. They've got cork in the middle, 
they've got rubber on the top and the bottom and it's like corrugated rubber so it's got these these fingers wherever and they're in opposing opposing arrangement uh top and bottoms uh, in terms of the corrugation so uh and and also what i had done was getting some got some vibra pods so one of the things that i've been trying to nail in this room is the bass and i think i mentioned it before that it's just not there that's kind of an understatement it it was horrible like it was just it was just loose and it was you know there's things missing there were lots of resonances and it just but the looseness really made made me like like kind of pinpoint and and finger the amp that's the amps you know the amps damping factor is doing that um you know and so that's what got me down this road of thinking well maybe i should buy amp and use my constellation on the bottom which that is a 24 db uh gain amplifier and the arc is probably 29.5 or some more standard so as you were explaining a uh, better thing to do than for me to get another preamp and try to like get more gain on the bottom would be to attenuate the top of the audio research and then let the constellation go well man i, I was just kind of so I was a little overwhelmed by that because it's just like so many moves and changes and I'm putting a pad on the, the magic part of it, which is just the, the audio research, um, you know, in this, in the right concoction of, uh, you know, the, the right output and then the right, you know, DAC load and that kind of thing. Um, you know, I had just gotten that so good. So I was a little apprehensive about that. But in order to pull that off uh, with XLRs, I was going to need XLR splitters. And so I ordered um, a bunch of XLR uh, jacks from Parts Connection, which shout out to Parts Connection again. They're just awesome as always. Um, I got some DH Labs XLRs. And I ordered some Dualund uh, 26 gauge silver wire, sil- solid silver wire with a cotton, uh, an oil impregnated cotton jacket. And I was going to make these splitters, but um, the first thing to arrive was the uh, vibration dampers. And then uh, I also ordered some vibropods. So I have eight vibropods and then 12 of these. Uh, uh, vibration things from diversitech literally 50 cents each they're the cheapest vibration control that you can get out there um and uh what i did was i put the the diversitech things under each foot of the subwoofers both subwoofers so that's eight and then under the four feet of my audio rack and i noticed uh because my floor was just just a little uneven near the the wall um, that I, I couldn't just put the sub on these vibration pads because one foot was kind of like hanging above one of them. Like it wasn't totally even. And the weight of the subs is not, it's not like a, it's a large air conditioning unit where there's enough weight that it actually like gets this thing working. So I threw the vibropods underneath those, those, um, those new Diversitech, you know, things. And so on the subwoofers only, I've got, and this wouldn't work with my audio rack because my audio rack's like 250 pounds. Um, under each subwoofer, I've got the Diversitech and then I've got the Vibropod underneath. And um, man, 
I, so I tried them individually. I tried the subs with just the Vibropods. I tried the subs with just the Diversitec uh, vibration, 50 cent each vibration dampers. And uh, it wasn't even close to what it was with both. Mm. Um, so the combination of these two under my subwoofers, it changed everything. And the the bass was automatic, was all of a sudden just deep, impactful, and f- and full frequency. It was like it was like um, two deep notes that are right next to each other. Where on a lot of systems, you would imagine a little bit of difference between those because there's so much comb filtering going on, and there's just like unevenness. They would be dead deadlocked with each other in terms of volume. Um, you know, I started hearing. Uh, I heard improvements in the top end and the in the mid range, um, which we know, you know the the really like low low distortion bass can really accentuate all of the rest of the frequencies um, because of how much uh, low frequency information there is, albeit you know just tiny little slivers, but in in lots of different things in transients and so, man, after just like a little bit of listening, I realized. Like I don't want to go down this biamping route at all. Like I never did. That was going to be a huge pain in my butt, and I still wouldn't know that if if it would give me what I wanted. And and so I was so thrilled, man, to just get to the point where these vibration dampening things just do everything I need. Um. So so anyway, so I then I had all these uh, you know DH Labs. XLR jacks and these this dual on cables, so made a pair of internet uh, interconnect cables, just mm-hmm. kind of like for fun, um, and to see I guess how they would stack up against my uh, Belden Iconoclast interconnects, and I have the TPC version and um, and uh, and so I made them, um, and so I went down all these rabbit holes looking at DIY interconnect designs and. Um, there's some very interesting ideas out there. This guy uh, pushing this helix design where uh, all the negative and shield conductors are three times the length of the signal conductor, and you and you spiral them around, and it creates this kind of pseudo shield type of thing. Um, you know, all the way to I was looking up, you know, ribbon cables, thinking that maybe I, you know, just for fun, why don't I just slice up some of these ribbons and make some thinner ribbons. But um, but I had this this silver dual on twenty six gauge. Twenty six gauge is small, um, but of the pure silver silver connector, it's it's a cool little little wire. And so I realized, uh, you know, you know, Kimber really um, makes this a lot easier by doing simple braids um, with a lot of their stuff. And the and the benefit of the simple braid is that at at almost all points where any of the wires cross each other, they're crossing closer to a 90 degree angle than in many other situations. Configurations, like, yeah. Yeah, because it's not perfect, it, mm-hmm. but it's it's not a perfect 90, but it's, it's close enough that it actually is effective in terms of, um, you know, uh, avoiding and preventing some of this interaction. This, um, you know, uh, so... Yeah, so you know, like induced voltages and stuff like that, and and um, so anyway, I I made these cables uh, pretty quick and did did a kind of a loose braid and 
and uh, hooked them up and listened to them for a while, and they were very good. There, there's things about them that they had this mid-range um, texture and mid-range fullness that was really appealing. It's kind of like exactly what I like about my amp is this is this kind of <clears throat> romantic mid-range. Um, yeah. But what was cool was was listening to them burn in. Um, so right away there was no bass and, and then everything else was pretty good. And then, uh, the bass started coming back and the top end got a little sibilant for a little while. Mm -hmm. And then that went away. And now it's kind of this like soft top bloomy mid range, great bass. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I went back to my iconoclast cables and they just blew it out of the water. And I was like, okay, okay. You know, like I didn't really expect to, to just, you know, for 80 bucks or whatever, probably less if you're just getting, if you're not trying to make splitters. So I got two extra XLR jacks, but um, very cheap cable you can make, um, really great results. So I actually brought it to work today and I'm, I just installed it in my work system. It's going to stay there, you know, until it, it burns in. I, I expect to hear it, it really, you know, continue to improve. Um, but it was, it was a, an improvement over the cables I had at work and, um, gosh, it's a fun little project. We've talked about this before about interconnects and like, what are some inexpensive interconnects? Well, I would say anybody that's got, uh, you know, uses XLRs, if you're not happy with your interconnects, go to parts connection, get some of this 26 gauge, go to 24 gauge, doesn't matter, but this single, single conductor, um, silver cable and do a quick braid and solder them up. And, um, man, I, I gotta tell you, I've been having a lot of fun with that little project. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. A little side project. So then, uh, last thing is, is that, um, I, because I, I, I'm, I'm like a little better suited now to get back to where my system is good. So I'm, I'm like willing to do a, a few like experiments knowing that I can, peel them back and um and and i'm curious about that base thing so i started thinking well i'm not by amping what if, what about by wiring um again i'm happy with my base but i i have all this uh raw ribbon uh material in two different sizes and i was and i had been using the smaller size for for my my speaker cables so i figured well hey why don't I make some fatter or, you know, use the, the wider ribbon and make some, uh, some extra cables and buy, buy wire. So, uh, about like 11 PM last night, I finished up making these cables and just hurriedly jammed them into the amp and into the speakers and, um, didn't get a lot of time to listen, but it, there was a noticeable change, uh, right away, um, that said, the, the brand new cables never been never no electricity has ever been applied to these ribbons, and uh, and on the tweeter. So I sent those to the woofers, and then on the tweeters, I have ribbons I've been using for two years. So it's I I realize like anyway that's my latest thing, and I'm gonna I'm just gonna watch it play out, see what happens, and it's totally undoable if I want to bring it back. Um, I've got lots of options where now I'm not not really like changing the character of the system i'm just kind of yeah you gotta be careful at this point you know like just not to not to touch too much yeah you know and, um, and nothing that i can't undo too exactly yeah, yeah. but uh, you know sometimes 
Yeah, and if you just if you make any changes, you just have to make sure that you remember exactly what you did. Almost yeah. like writing it down at yeah. this point, you know. And um, well, I don't know, man, because the next the next big change I want to make is is to install an IEC jack, and yeah. that's something you can't undo. Because I guess you can get a stock power cable and yeah. simulate what it's like right now. Yeah, I, I think it's. I don't think it's that risky. Okay. Um, I I uh, I think the biamping thing is a little risky. Yes, you know, cause, you're cause getting into crazy. you're getting into some pretty big changes there. But you know, Too the much. riskiest thing would be to move your speakers or move your subs yeah. or something yeah. like that. That's yeah. like you know, you really gotta you know tape that stuff and yep. have have the locations um, uh, uh, you know marked if you're gonna touch them, but. Um, but yeah, that's that's great. That is a good point. I need to tape your those system down. sounds. I mean, it sounds really, really great. Yeah, you came and over the other. It day. is amazing how much the all the isolation. Oh yeah, you heard the it. Table. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, and and you know it, it goes back to that uh, uh, one episode where we were talking about exciting the room and how yeah. the room can become this. It's a great transducer. Yeah. If you let it, if you let it. Um, be a transducer it's going to be an excellent transducer yeah. in in adding certain frequencies in your in your room like you think that it's necessarily just the boundary conditions of the waves that are standing in the room but that's just not it's not fully the case it's also that the room actually is a transducer at some frequencies and then yeah. at others it's not and so um if you can transfer less energy to that room then you're you're better off, and so that's what all the isolation yeah. really is. It's 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 less of a um, affecting, you know. For, certainly for solid state equipment, it it doesn't, you know, isolating solid state equipment isn't as effective as isolating tube gear or isolating mm. speakers. Yeah, so the speakers don't actually transmit and uh, energy into that room, and so you want to decouple subwoofers. You want to decouple speakers. And, uh, and that's what, you know, you and I have done with our subwoofers and yeah. boy, like sitting my subs on the, on the floor versus having. The, yeah. I remember you know, that I, was huge for you. I, in your room. I, yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, I had to take the subs down like, uh, it was like uh, four to six DB or something, you know, that's how much the, the subs were, um, or I had to actually, yeah. You had, had to, to raise them, them up at the raise them because up. your floor was actually like adding enough adding, sound exactly yeah so it was acting like, as a transducer um yeah. so you know it is is important all those things matter but it's also a great thing when you're getting when you're whittling down to worrying about all those little tweaks that's when you know that you're on the right path that's what has been you've said that and that's that's something that i feel comfortable and confident about is that yeah i'm at the point where i'm doing these little tweaks like I, that's you, the good. That's when you're you're in the good zone when that's happening. You know, I've uh, I've fuses on the way. Yeah, fuses on the way. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're gonna they're gonna come this week, and uh, yeah, we've laughed at at the uh, the effect of fuses before. Uh, I've I've heard a quick demo. You've heard a good demo. Um, I have no. I still any demo that I hear, unless it's my system, mm -hmm. you know, I don't have a lot to say about it. So I'm going to have plenty to say about the contribution of fuses next. Yeah, it'll next be, episode. it'll be interesting. And yeah. also 
that your tube amp, um, you know, it, it's pulling a, a lot of power, um, around 400 watts in, in idle. Yeah. And so you have to wonder, you know, uh, how is the relationship between um, the quality of the fuse and the current that's running through it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Logic would dictate that the more current, the the more uh, uh, influence influence that that fuse would yeah. have. Yeah. yeah. So now the one thing I'm scared about is that I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast, but we we've mentioned before that our our tube amps had some questionable decisions made um, for them that were borderline dangerous in terms of certain things that were undervalued. And, and we were kind of amazed that they hadn't blown up a lot more um, than they, than they had, but it wasn't like totally outrageous. It was just like some stuff where you could tell a guy had was like pulling from his parts bin to like fix this thing, get this thing back up. Not just like waiting until his delivery of the exact right thing showed up, you know? Um, but I pulled out the, the line fuse. So the, for the 120 volt line input, you know, from the power and it's supposed to be a 6.3 amp, but what was in my amp was a 20 amp. (laughs) So I I pulled that out. I don't like that stuff. I don't like hearing that stuff. I know it might as well have been like part of a sawed off key or something. These are the log of aluminum foil. Anyway, it's like the thing wasn't going to blow, but now I'm wondering, gosh, are, do any of the modifications that were done to this that I didn't do, do might those impact the fuse? Like, so what I'm going to do well, is... I, I don't think so. I'm going to have no. to get, like, a six... Just to put my heart at ease, I'm going to get a, a cheapy 6.3 amp no, That's fuse a good idea. And run that for a little Unless bit. Unless you're... See, uh, when we've talked about this as well, is that when... Um, if people recap their amplifiers and they put higher capacitance in the power supply... Yeah. One of the things that that can do, the first thing that it would do is cause an inrush current that would blow the current fuse value. Yeah. That's right. the first thing that you could do. Right. The second thing is you could take out your bridge. That's the other thing Whoa. you can do. So, so, um, so I just, uh, I don't think that your cap values have been, have been changed, but that one cap is a different size than mine. It is. Right. It's not so, the short one, which it's supposed to be the short one. Yeah. Also, but there's a new bridge underneath the amp too. Remember, because he has those yeah, super yeah. fast diodes. Yeah, so. but that won't that won't cause the no. Fuse. Okay. Yeah, it's it's mainly the capacitance value. So, anyways, we'll see. And you're you're smart. For, we'll see. You're smart for for <laughs> trying the cheap one first. I'm try the cheap one first, um, so I don't blow a yeah. hundred bucks like that. <laughs> just literally flip the huh? switch. Yeah, just blow. Yeah. Mm. literally blow a hundred bucks uh what's the last thing going on with me i'm rocking a shiner today so darren's gonna try to like look past i've been i've been like trying not to stare at it you know it's like (laughs) it's like the austin powers mole you know it's like don't don't look at it don't look at it no i i I play bike polo that's one of my it's my game that i enjoy uh, and i have for many years and i've never gotten a, a shot a ball hitting my eye at significant force like i did yesterday so i'm I'm actually pretty lucky to still have this eye um i i'll take the shiner any day over not being able to see anymore so. you get to brag about maybe getting in a fight with somebody got in a fight this well this guy was trying his... to attack this old lady and so i that's what it is i beat him up you know yeah got, yeah he got one in but i got more than that in yeah. I don't know. This guy was like talking smack about tubes and he said solid state was, you know, for life. And I said, <laughs> I don't know. I, I have to go fight you. No, uh, 
Anyways, the so, fighting yeah. words. All right, man. What's what's up with you? What's going on with your in your world? Uh, lots of lots of planning. Um, I've I've gotten finally your woods here. Oh, it's beautiful. The wood is yeah, here. It's yes, beautiful. yeah. So the wood is the it wood's is arrived. Light. It's not as light as I was expecting. It is. It I would say it's a teak stain on white oak. That sure. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. And I I wasn't I wasn't expecting it to be as light as it is, but yeah. it's okay. It's going to be fine. Um, I have some great plans to snaz up the stands which are going to be again concrete and sorbethane stands i have the concrete waiting weighing down my audi right now um i haven't brought it in i i was unfortunately i'll, I'll help you with that by the way i, I um mentioned that oh thanks i um actually was experiencing some some back pain this weekend so i just didn't get the um the stand set up but I do have other plans. I, I'm about to place an order for a bunch of QRD diffusers. Yeah, with so, you, and one of your favorite places is ATS Acoustics. Yeah, ATS yeah. Acoustics. Yeah. I, I, I bought, um, I think they have pretty reasonable prices. I've, I've purchased some uh, absorption panels from them, and, you know, it's, uh, it's a pretty good product at a pretty, good, uh, pretty reasonable price. And so um, I think I'm going to be buying a bunch of their diffusers and then... Um, spray painting them white um and uh three behind the speakers three um on the on the uh left and three on the right and then uh, mainly absorption behind me which then opens up into the kitchen so there's not much of a rear wall there's some um and then i'm also going to put some panels way up because i have a kind of a vaulted ceiling and so it, it kind of like maxes out at 13 feet i believe yeah and so i'm gonna be just putting some you know some diffusers up there just to kind of diffuse the random um flutter that you get and i i noticed that right now is uh when i when i'm playing maybe 85 to 90 db um, when my assistant's playing and then you hit pause and listen to what is Mm, after that yeah that's an interesting test and right now i notice it's um, I, I have a long decay section, which I'm actually okay with long decay is, is, is okay. And then I still have some, I have a little bit of flutter. Hmm. So I'm hoping mm-hmm. that the panels will kind of, you know, decrease the, uh, how loud that longer decay is yeah. and then also eliminate the re- the flutter, which cool. can be really bad for, you know, clarity and just overall, um, uh, articulation in the system. Yeah, that's that room um, sound that's not the music and not exactly. your speakers and not your system. Yep. Yeah, but the longer the longer decays are, they can actually you know make the system sound larger and the soundstage sounding bigger. So that's yeah. where diffusion is nice. You don't absolutely kill that. Like yeah. if I were to absorb the whole thing, then that's all gone and then it sounds dead. Uh, a big you know, mistake, common mistake that audiophiles make is, is wanting to, um, is to make their room like a studio and you don't really, you don't really want that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what's funny about that is that you're making, when you're absorbing everything and it's really like absorptive and, and dead, like studios are like that because they have to be because their shape is horrible. Mm-hmm. Like it'll be a low ceiling room with flat opposing walls. And the best thing you could do is just deaden that thing down to nothing and then close mic everything. Yep. But like 
I that's that's what makes me appreciate like places like Ocean Way Studios even more, which is a big live room where certain sections of the room sound different than other sections of the room and it's and it's more engineered and it's mm-hmm. and it's it's just better than solving your your because i dude i've i've worked in studios that have horrible like i look at this room and like we're recording in here really and it's just it's dead so that's fine but it would be better if it was a better room and a little bit liver or if it was a better room that that used its acoustics to its uh, you know you know um to its uh, uh benefit instead of instead of not having that and having to deaden everything and close mic everything but yeah there's also a million studios where all you need to do is close mic a guitar cab and you're done so you know there's a lot of different work to do but interesting and i uh i brought over the um the SACD transport. You did. Uh, so at PS Audio, we, we just recently released the SACD transport, uh, which is a, um, it's a CD transport that also has uh, SACD capability. And, um, and I, I brought it over to Duncan's house just to listen to it on his system. Yeah. Um, uh, he's running the bridge in his uh, direct stream junior currently. And we were just listening to the same track uh, on the CD verse uh, streaming, streaming via Rune. So, um, so what did you think of that? Uh, well, well, the SACD player is missing something very important, and that is uh, a cute three-letter acronym for it, right? Because we had the PWT from PS Audio, we had the <laughs> DMP from PS Audio, and we have the SACD player. It's like it's like the Washington football team. He, are you familiar with how the Redskins are now not not called the Redskins? No, I'm not. So they decided to force a change for the the club to just like like okay guys, it's 2021 like you have to change your name from Redskins. And <laughs> and it was like the owner didn't want to do this and there was uh, NFL uh this is an NFL team and National Football League team in in America and owner didn't want to do that and it's just incredibly it's just in today's day and age just racially insensitive so it's it's um it, this was forced upon them which meant that everybody like they 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 weren't ready for it so they don't have merchandise they don't have a logo they don't have they don't have a color scheme they don't have a name they don't have anything but they had to move away from redskins so the entire year this last year when every commentator radio personality like play-by-play analysts like players like anybody references this team they have to reference they have to call them the Washington football team so it's very strange when you're talking about the Panthers and the Broncos and the Washington football team anyway <laughs> i just uh i i always loved the uh the ps audio folks like um always abbreviate the everything that, abbreviate that. everything right yeah it's yeah, fun yeah. it's fun it's 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 an ecosystem that you totally understand yeah spp um, and spp pwt yeah. dmp um p10 you know you got your bhk you got your you got your three letter acronyms this one's kind of like a yeah it's What's like SACD one? is kind of like I, I guess i don't know what they've been doing the SACD player it. tsp I don't know. Anyway, I don't know. But <laughs> no, I'm just um, I'm just fooling around though because uh, I used to own a PWT. Yeah, I was working at P 
PS Audio when they had the DMP. So mm-hmm. I'm very familiar with that product. And um, I, it, like I said, I owned a PWT. And when you when you own something and you just really get to know it, uh, just a remarkable player. Um, and I've, you know, I, I'm to anyone who's new to the podcast. I'm Duncan. I'm the uh, uh, testing technician at the Music Room, which is a uh, the world's largest uh, hi-fi um, audio reseller. So it's like an online um, secondhand retailer. And as a testing technician, I've just listened to hundreds of different CD players over time. And um, the, the, the perfect way to transport the first one from PS Audio is still... Uh, remarkable. It's still it's still top of the class DM, that I ever listened to. That, and though. the DMP crushed it. Yeah, and I remember that. Yeah. You know, so um, so anyway, I, I I came into this with some some healthy expectations, you could say. Um, but um, you know, it might as well have been any company's thing. You just brought it in, we hooked it up, and mm-hmm. we went back and forth, and it was just plain as day. And first of all, uh, my my streaming rig is no slouch. Um, no, it, it really held up. Yeah, it, it held up a lot more than mine at my house. Um, I, I'm using like a um, mini DSP uh, to AES EBU. Um, uh, so it's basically USB to a bunch of in and outs it's like four ins and four outs oh. of, of um ebu it's meant for a studio really. i didn't know mini dsp made that i thought yeah. it was a different product okay, no it's, okay. it's mini dsp okay and so i upgraded the power supply yeah to, with the iFi, right yeah, yeah yeah and and um and so i'm running uh that into uh my dac and so I, I find that the um yeah yours the, the bridges are definitely stand up uh better Oh, they they sound better than kills. an NDSP. Yeah. Um, Does a good job, but um, but yeah, the the uh, it's always interesting listening to optical discs versus um, yeah streamed versus something streamed, and yeah. um, you know you're dealing with something that is lower noise um, and lower uh, it the signal path between the transport itself and your DAC is much uh, smaller and cleaner. Yeah. Um, then, uh, then, you know, the whole streaming network <laughs> of the way that your Wi-Fi is connected, the way that you have your, um, your, your, whatever your streaming device is connected to your internet matters. Well, um, I, I, all I, these variables. I had to run a hundred foot run of five cat five E under my house. Yeah. Yep. To, to get there. And it's joined with a coupler. So I, you know, there's an obvious upgrade there. I need to get Cat Six, and I need to get one long wire of of Cat Six, and not use a coupler. But and then and then how do these um, streaming services uh, store their data, and right. how do they supply the data? Right. Um, all that being not as good, obviously, as a really great optical disc mechanism. Still, yeah. Uh, and the ability for us to um, galvantically isolate the the transport itself the mechanical transport and the output stage of the uh transport um or the i should say the the uh, the output stage of the actual unit itself um is what allows us to to get really 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 low noise and we've found that that lowering that noise gives you um just increased 
uh, sense of of blackness in the soundstage, uh, better bass, better separation. The spatial separation in the bass were two like major things. That it's I it's yeah. that when I heard that verse, the DMP, that's what I was blown away with how much better it was than the DMP in the in being able to create space between instruments and notes and stuff. Yeah. So, well, noise anyways. is the game. Renew- removing noise gets you to these these heights in audio in every single part of all of this. Isn't it just ones and zeros though? Uh, yeah, bit, bits are just <laughs> and bits, bro. The thing is, it, what's interesting is that a- digital becomes um, like analog when you break it down and start analyzing the. Um, parasitics of digital yeah so noise and and uh and low the low passing of clocks all that the clock management and all that is those are analog problems Mm. that's what's interesting so analog it when whenever you have an analog solution to a problem the problem is is an anal is in the analog domain. Mm, gotcha. And a lot of the issues in in these digital setups, like your DAC and how you interface, there, yeah, you're dealing with a digital signal, but you're dealing with analog issues. Mm. And the solutions to those things are analog issues, such as oh, let's this cable configuration. I change the conf- cable configuration or the cable conductor and. Um, uh, minimizing the length of the cable, all that kind of stuff. So, um, it's just uh, it just always surprises me how uh, how digital is still very tweaky, and you have to get things right in order to get the best. Performance. Yeah, yeah, we're never so. going to get away from that. <laughs> always be tweaking. Yeah, that's uh, ABT. That's that's what you got to call the the new SACD player. The the ABT. ABT. Always be tweaking. Always be tweaking. <laughs> I think that's what I'm going to call you. <laughs> yeah, you call me that. That <laughs> that works for me. Anyways, do we have any questions this week? Yes, we do. All right, let's move into L questions segment. Um, we're going to answer two questions this week. Got two good ones. Uh, thanks you guys for sending these and to anyone else um be a part of the podcast send us an email hi-fi at outlook.com is that email address um it, we take questions we take tips we take uh, you know recommend album recommendations um we just love the feedback and uh but we really love when when folks uh listeners are having burning questions that uh that Darren, as an engineer, Darren's senior analog engineer, by the way, at PS Audio, um, and and uh, and I'm a testing technician. But we have our our different perspectives that we bring into this, and there's a good chance, no matter what your question is, that that we can probably tackle it. So feel free to send us uh, emails there. Um, so we got a couple here. Let's start with Andrew. So we got an email from Andrew Klopfenstein. And Andrew writes, uh, Hi guys, I really love what you've been doing with your podcast. Your episode on how to enjoy being an audiophile was such a great check for me as I've been so gear and system focused lately as I dial in what I have and plan future moves. Things are sounding very good to me right now, and I've been moving past my test track playlist and back into full albums. Well, that's, by the way, let's break here. That, that's awesome, Andrew. Um, really glad that you 
uh, not only enjoyed our episode, how to enjoy being an audiophile, but really understood um, the, the, the gist of it, which is just, uh, you know, um, train yourself to, to get, take a break from this an analytic kind of approach to things and remember to enjoy music and dance and stuff sometimes. Um, yep. That was a whole bunch of episodes ago, but if any of you have not heard how to enjoy being an audiophile, that is a good one to, uh, to go catch. I danced last weekend, actually. You dance all the time, man. Uh, of anybody, you know, of any engineer, I've never seen an engineer move to music like you. <laughs> it's good. It's good. It means you're, you're, you're a real guy there. I'm so. not a robot. No, you're not. You're a real boy. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let me continue with Andrew's email because uh, he's got a great question here that we're going to jump right into. I currently have a mix of vintage DIY and modern components, which I'll list below. The sound from my DAC is just stomping my vintage turntable right now, to the point that I find myself not wanting to listen to vinyl. It has a noisy background, and the sound is just smaller in every way when compared to my DAC. I have a two-part question for you. I'm saving up for a new turntable and cart and wondering... At what price point makes sense to match or exceed my current digital experience and give me something I can build around for years to come? What turntables or carts would you recommend on this level? Anything over $1,500 will take me a while to save up for. So for my second part, I'm wondering what I can do to refurbish or mod my current turntable to open the sound up and get the noise down. I've already changed the platter mat, put a new cartridge on, uh, and aligned it and tracking for a set <clears throat> and leveled uh, and set the platter to spec. I have the service manual, which I have attached to this email. All right. His, uh, let's see, his room is about 12 feet by 24. His turntable is a vintage Phillips AF677 with a vessel cartridge. His phono pre is a Parks Audio Puffin. I, I looked that up. That is a, a digital phono pre, which is very interesting. Uh, DSP phono pre. His DAC is a shit Modi multibit. Um, and it's got an upgraded firmware chip, looks like. Um, other than that, he's got a shit Freya uh, tube preamp with JJ tubes um, <clears throat> and a vintage uh, JVC uh, integrated amp. And he's also got Burson's new funk class ab desktop app all right well uh you're you're not alone um a lot of people that have uh, both analog and digital rigs uh, run into the issue of that uh one rig always kind of is better than the other that's and then where they, i'm at they make uh yeah. they make a um a, 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 you know some sort of an advancement on the digital end and the digital starts uh starts to become better than the analog and then you do some something to the analog and all of a sudden the the analog becomes better than the digital so so right now you're in the situation where you've upgraded to a a decent DAC and now uh you're noticing that your analog rig just isn't um isn't holding up to uh to, to the level that you're getting out of your DAC so um you, uh, the I have some good news and I have some bad news. the The bad news is that with analog, you do have to, uh, you know, uh, pay kind of an entry price um, yeah. to start getting into uh, a, a really great setup. And the and the reason is is if just take a record and and look at the record itself, and you can't really even see the actual grooves themselves. 
like or the the actual notches in the grooves yeah. for instance yeah so you're dealing you're dealing with a a mechanical device that has to be so precise that your eye can't even see what you're trying to be precise about yeah it's a very difficult challenge and and it's kind of um an analogy is in the watch world how they make timing devices uh in the high end watches uh, the the actual um, uh, uh, the way the watch is made is sometimes the uh, least logical way to make to make it, but it's hmm. it, it's it's really expensive and it's amazing that it keeps time the way it does, right? Hmm. Or you could cheat and you could just get a Timex that is better than it, in right? Time, right, right. So it's right. not all about the accuracy. Yeah, you know, you could buy a ten dollar watch that is better than. A yeah. twenty thousand dollar watch in time accuracy, but it's not about that. It's about wow! It's this amazing feat in in yeah. mechanical engineering yeah. to to make this timing element work. Um, and so and so, it's a a little bit of that in analog, where where it's incredible that it it can be better than digital. It, you know, certain setups can be better than digital because you're. You're having to make this mechanical device, um, uh, and and that that doesn't have a lot of error on something that is so precise. And so all the machine parts, all, the precision of the platter, the bearing, the tone arm, the bearing in the tone arm on the pivot on the bearing, um, all of that is so critical that you're talking about aerospace grade tolerances on yeah. machining and stuff. Yeah. And so that's why it costs a lot of money to get into good vinyl. And that's why cheaper turntables, they can be fun, but they just don't offer, you know, the hi-fi experience that now for just two or 300 bucks, you can get into that with right. DAX. Right. So, uh, so my recommendation to you for a table, for an entry-level table that will, that will give you um, a, a great idea of what good analog is about, is the Riga Planer 3. And that turntable is just under $1,000 US. I'm not sure um, I'm not sure where how much it would be where where you are, but um, but the uh, but for the cartridge uh, this is where you know you could take off the cartridge that you have right now and you could put that cartridge on this turntable. Um, so, you know, you don't have to do all of it at once. Um, you can kind of go as uh, upgrade as you can afford to, to make the upgrade. So, so around a thousand dollars, you could get the, the Riga P3 and, uh, or planar three. And, um, and then, you know, as far as a cartridge move, you could try good cartridges, um, like moving magnet cartridges that I could recommend, um, Ortofon, um om30 super um that's a good one the the 40 is a little bit harder to set up but is is obviously a bit a bit better if you can set it up right um the uh the 2m stuff like 2m black is a is a nice cartridge in the moving magnet area um so if you want to stay in moving magnets um those would be my recommendations for moving magnets. Um, moving coils would be getting into a higher price range and also having to really 
make sure that you have a, a really great phono stage. So my, my recommendation is take it slow. I would, I would upgrade the table first and transfer the cartridge that you have right now to the, the Riga and keep your phono stage. And, and that way you get to hear the differences as you upgrade. And so now, then you can single out and say, okay, the table brought this much. Now upgrade your cartridge. That would be the next thing I recommend. Um, and then, and then finally, if if that's you know been all success and you love where that's going, upgrade your phono stage and and you'll see um, you'll continue to see improvements. And that's one of the really fun things about analog is the ability, the more areas to customize your sound. So how do I want? my front end sounding. You know, with a DAC, you don't have many options. You just get, that's the DAC, you plug it in. If you're lucky, it has a few DSP filtering options that you can try listening to differences. They're always subtle. They, they do make a small difference. But with analog, you can, you can tailor so much um, to, and, and be able to dial in your exact sound that you're after. And when you get into nice tables like the Planner 3, you can own that table for decades. It's not going to be outdated. That table was around decades ago and it'll continue to be around for decades. So, yeah. so you know, you're dealing with a timeless, a timeless thing. It's um, won every award in the book, right? Yeah, actually. Yeah. I think what Hi Fi they've won. Uh, 2016, 17, 18, 19, 20 now, as far as the component of the year. So, um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, uh, yeah. decorated, uh, table and it, it deserves it. It's a wonderful table. And, uh, that's what I would recommend. Take it slow, get the planer three and then, uh, and then slowly upgrade the cartridge and the phono stage. All right, Andy, thanks so much for that question. Um, <clears throat> I knew Darren would be able to come out with a, a good recommendation there. Cause I, I mean, I, I am exactly in your boat, uh, there, Andy, I have a older vintage turntable and it's just, it's, I have some records. It's just right now, something of a gimmick for me because my digital is so much better. It's just no question. If I'm seriously listening, I'm just going to and it is also it's important to ask the question whether you even want to go down the road yeah because because you're you're gonna have to spend money on great vinyl and then the better your rig right. becomes the more the better good vinyl sounds on it. and the and the worse that bad vinyl sounds <sighs> so so you know yeah. really crummy vinyl in, in meaning it's in bad condition or even the recordings themselves um, it's going to start sounding worse, um, and and you're going to want have the desire to have better vinyl. So for some people, that's they they want the table because they know they want the vinyl. Yeah, you see, they they're into collecting vinyl, that into buying the vinyl. And so if you don't have that in you, if you don't actually want to have a collection, you don't want to spend money on a collection of vinyl. You know, I would say. You might want to rethink spending a whole lot of money on your analog rig. Yeah, right. But but the rewarding, it's very rewarding. Yeah, yeah. It's very yeah, rewarding in sure. many ways. Is to have your own collection of music that you own that's on the shelf. Um, and you you always remember where you bought the freaking vinyl, and then this whole process, like I said, to customize the the front end and dial it. Um, you'd be surprised. Uh, you can easily, with the Planner 3, you can blow away some pretty nice DACs. Um, 
getting all these parts uh, correct and getting the setup right. And it is a very rewarding thing, but there is a price tag. So, yeah. Yep. All right. Thanks, Andy. Um, okay. Our next question, uh, second question for today comes from a listener uh, in Hong Kong, which is exciting. Uh, a listener named Yuki Ong. And Yuki asks this. Let me read his email. Hi, Darren Duncan. I've come across your podcast recently. You have a refreshing podcast around your own experiences instead of product reviews. Great job and keep up the good work. Your podcast is potentially bad for my wallet. But sorry about that. Sorry, buddy. Uh, but your album recommendations are a great way of finding new music to try. I'm now keeping an eye out for a small single-ended triode amp. I live in Hong Kong, where my sister describes apartments as shoeboxes, hence, hence the need for the small stuff. My second system has a local one-man band kind of tube amp, uh, one-man band made tube amp. It's a Kinko, uh, KA101. Your latest episode was very interesting, but your definition of small companies is still large for the Kinko maker. So it must be just, just one guy making these. Um, she says, his amp is my first entry into tubes, and I totally love the retro VU meters, which maker has said is there only for cosmetics. Uh, let me break really quick. I I went down a little rabbit hole here. Um, you were on the phone. I was looking at this uh, DeGogo review of the Kinko, and it is uh, glowing. I mean, it, this little amp uh, does a lot in its 12 watts per channel, looks like, mm. um, with these EL34s. And it's got very cool-looking vintage uh, 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 meters. So... Uh, very cool little amp, and, and this Dagogo was just um, praising, praising, praising its sonics. So, um, very cool uh, little piece there. Okay, let me continue. Where did, where did I leave off? Okay, what's your take on the differences between a single-ended triode versus EL34s? I'm torn uh, between looking at an, a single-ended triode amp or versus more tube rolling on the Kinko. Also, I have Harbeth P3 ESR at the back of this tube amp. So this tube amp is powering Harbeth P3s. Since listening to your podcast, I've found a China-based speaker maker that uses Mark Audio drivers. Are full-range drivers much better suited to tube amps than the Harbeths? I appreciate its scant info above, but would, would you think a change in the amp or speaker would bring about a bigger sound difference? A better sound is subjective, so I thought I'd ask for a bigger difference. Got to listen to more equipment, right? The P3 ESR isn't suited for an SET. Um, thanks, Yuki, uh, for this great question. Um, I knew that that. Uh, well, I, I was I'm stoked to answer this because um, Darren is passionate about the the magic of these little Harbeth P3 ESRs yep. and knows them very well. Um, I'll let you just go and start on that. Yeah, first thing, I think you, you have the right speaker for your apartment, the the shoebox. Um, yep. They um, they you know they they're gonna excel in a small space like that. So you got a great you got a great transducer there. Um, and uh, and this amp seems like a a real nice amp. You know, you got uh, it's it's a twelve watt amplifier um and um so the your your first question was um 
triode or or uh, or a single ended triode versus uh, EL thirty four. So that yeah. that is um, those are two different things. So the uh, the set amp uh, an EL thirty four could actually be used in a set amp because um, the EL thirty four is what's called a, a pentode uh, tube, and so um, you could actually just wire it into triode. And you can you can actually use this this tube in a single ended triode amplifier, um, and so um, I, I'm not sure exactly what the question is. There's there's uh, single ended triodes and there's single ended pentodes. Um, there's also push pull circuits um, that use ultralinear with with uh, EL34. So I think that's more so what you were going down was asking yeah, what about so the too. more complex amplifier uh topologies versus just the single ended triode which obviously can be used with the EL34 tube um and so uh and th- those are really um th- those different amplifier topologies yield different harmonic profiles so the harmonic distortion which is the 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 product that are that made from the fundamental that you put into the amplifier. So if you put in like, you know, one kilohertz, you can, you get two kilohertz and you get three kilohertz out. Ideally we wouldn't want any products, but the harmonic distortion is, um, is that, is that product. And so the amount of harmonic distortion versus each frequency changes the profile. So how much second do you get and how much third do you get and how much fourth and, so the the advantage of ultralinear push pull amplifiers is that you get an actual um, even ordered uh, cancellation with it, which yeah. really dramatically lower THD in tube amplifiers, but lowers second order. Yes, which is something that um, you know, for example, Nelson Pass talks about how brilliant second order can be for an amplifier designer. Well, it's also really innocuous. It's also hard to hear. Yeah. You need a lot of it to hear, which is actually the reason why uh, uh, speakers um, have a lot of distortion, but uh, uh, sometimes the distortion amplifiers are more audible because the, the amplifiers are producing higher-ordered stuff where the speakers are... Na- it's a very natural yeah. distortion. seconds and thirds. So it's a lot of second and thirds. Yeah. Um, but uh, so the idea around uh, uh, single-ended triode is that is that the harmonics are more natural, and so you get uh, a more second and third harmonic distortion versus more complicated uh, topologies may have some sort of cancellation which will lead to less natural profiles, such as the second missing completely, and then a third and a fifth. Um, and so that, that sounds different to us than, than a, a natural profile. The other thing is that you get more wattage with the the other topologies, like so a push pull amplifier with uh, is gonna usually have more wattage with the same tube versus a single ended triode. You don't get as many watts out of it, so um, that that's kind of a difference there. But as far as mating with your P3s, um, I can only tell you some of my experience with them. I have tried a lot of amplifiers with the P3s, and um, I do feel that they are uh, voltage sensitive, which means that, uh, or they, they want voltage. And so what that means is that higher wattage amplifiers can swing more volts on, on them. 
and uh, and they do respond well to that. And that's just yep. because they're relatively low sensitive. They have a relatively low sensitivity yep. to them. Yep. So they're they're eighty three um, at at roughly I believe six ohms nominal, which is it, they're pretty inefficient. That's pretty low. It's pretty low. It's very low. And so running a fifteen or a twelve watt amp into those. Um, if you're trying to get up to 85 or 90, um, but specifically like 85 even, um, and you have, you know, you have to account for your peaks in the audio Yeah, as I was well. going to say the peaks and yeah, yeah, getting to a point where there's no distortion whatsoever. It's, it's kind of the average is you're, lower. You're going to be really cutting it and you're yeah. not going to be really hearing fully, in my opinion, what the P3s can do. Um, I would actually recommend something more in the 50-watt range for the P3s. Um, they're just very uh, insensitive. Um, and yeah. so uh, that, is just, that is just my opinion. I'm sure that they sound okay, at, specifically at lower volumes with that amplifier. But I would just recommend a little bit more power. And that, again, that's just because we need to swing some volts across that speaker um, for it to play, and we need low distortion with that. So, um, uh, you know, you can maybe pursue some um, full range driver speakers um, if you want to use this amplifier um, and something that is more so in like the 90 to 93 dB range would be a lot yeah. better for this. Um, but, uh, but for the the actual P3s themselves, I, I do recommend uh, a, a, a more powerful amplifier. Yeah, um, I need to correct something. Uh, I do this all the time. I I look at EL84 and read EL34 because I'm so used to it. Oh, um, maybe that was me. No, it was me because I was reading the thing. Um, no, so. El eighty oh, are, are just right. smaller smaller tubes. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. But they're they're still often used in push pull arrangements as output tubes for oh, small yeah. amps. Sure, sure. And that's sure. how it is here. There's two per channel. Yeah, I don't know whether I'm the one that that translated it. It's to me. I, it's just one of those things. I Anyways, do. it's an three easy looks one like to eight. do. There's yeah. just a yeah. Three yeah. Looks There's like just eight. a little uh, some lines there. But either way, it's a 12 watt amp and it's got push pull EL 84s. 84s. Yeah, this is a smaller. Yeah, you're smaller pentode. Yeah. Um and and it um. Yeah, it's the same, exactly the same thing with what I said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that, that doesn't change at all. Yep. Um, interestingly, I had a pair on my desk of Mark Audio Sota Sesti MBs uh, last, uh, this yeah. last week. Yeah. And so that's a full range driver um, that is uh, impressive. I mean, I was impressed by these mm-hmm. things. Cool. Usually when you're looking at full range drivers, you're looking at larger cabinets. Um, you know, when I was going down the full range driver, uh, loudspeaker, you know, giant rabbit hole that I went down for a long time, um, I, I, uh, I, f- I found out that, that full range drivers and s- low wattage tube amps are really popular in Hong Kong because everybody's apartment is the size of a, a shoebox in Hong Kong. You know, you can be really wealthy and you still kind of yep. live in a small place because they're trying to, so many people are trying to live in such yep. a small area. Very concentrated. So uh, it's actually kind of a, a, a trend among audiophiles in Hong Kong to have uh, these full range drivers. And 
Uh, usually what you see are like tapered quarter wave tubes, like the Voigt pipes, um, you know, where these thin, slim, but tall kind of like things that are, that are just a straight horn, you know, that unload at the floor and kind of tapered at the top and you've got the driver in the middle. Yep. Um, I, you know, I, I discovered so many different, uh, orientations for full range drivers or types of speaker designs from that uh asian hong kong aesthetic of of space is a premium so so you know this is our stereo system um i love it but it basically made me look at these sesti c-e-s-t-i is is the name uh mb speakers a little bit askance as as to okay what are these things gonna do you yeah know, they're so small they're just <clears throat> you know it's a bookshelf like like this okay. a little bigger than the okay. P3. The, yep. the 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 four inch driver's large actually. It's like that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I pressed play and it was just it was very nice. very impressive. Yeah, so um it's I think the I think that this is one of those questions that's like do I want to build the system around the speaker or yeah. do I want to build it around the amp? There you go. And and I just in my opinion the two that this combination if it is 12 watts EL 84 with with the um with with the with these P3s I just uh I just don't think it's the best combination just in my opinion I could be I could be wrong but I've just I've I've found that they um that they do like power and yeah. it's easy to clip with with even 20 watts on the P3s it's pretty easy to clip the amp yeah um yeah. so you, you um no you're right so on. you know I, like if you if you want to keep this amplifier, it seems like a, a gem of an amplifier. You um, you could uh, get a full range speaker that um, that you know in anywhere ninety plus dB sensitive, and it will probably be a lot better experience. You yeah, know, as far as just having some dynamics and some headroom. The Mark Audio not. that I mentioned is eighty seven, so you you could even there's much room to go in terms of looking around for more efficient. There's much more efficient uh, full range drivers out there, like like the Omega speakers or something like that. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, I was looking at the Kinko Audio KA one hundred and one, and I saw a couple of pictures of folks having Omega speakers next to that thing. So cool. Um, oh, you but, know uh, that said. The Arbeth P3 is is a magical little speaker. It's a magical speaker. You and I know speaker. it really yeah. well. You know it much yep, yep. more than I do. It's yep. it's it's worth looking at at other amps or yeah. putting it on a different system. I recommend looking at a um, talking about uh, tubes. Uh, looking at a push pull EL34 amplifier that will yield you know forty to fifty watts yeah. of output power. Yeah, that's the range you want for a P3. And I know it's kind of counterintuitive that. The freaking amp is is larger than both of the speakers combined, but like they they are low sensitivity, yep, and they just Can't require they require that. power, yep. yep. Well, thank you so much, Yuki, for the great question. And again, anybody else, don't don't be uh, shy. Send us your questions, tips, or album recommendations. We love to hear them. So, um, all right, here we are. You know, this stems from a conversation you and I had uh, the other day, which is actually something that you had been thinking about quite a bit. I didn't do, I didn't thought of it at all, but I really enjoyed 
the discussion when you were starting to talk about the future of audio. Yeah. And um, a good question to ask, which which doesn't necessarily need to be answered right now, but it's but it's appropriate for you know framing the discussion is how far in the future. You know, because some of the stuff you and I were talking about was way in the future. Oh, we can't talk about that stuff, Duncan. Shh. <laughs> we can't talk about that. I'd love There's to talk about it because it's crazy. But, it's, the, it's the Elon Musk era of, like, if we could redo this, how would we do it? I can I can kind of tell you, like, how how I feel about this. And there, there, I think there's a few there's a few, like, starting points that we should discuss before getting into the, the meat of this. And okay. One, one is, is what has the past been like in audio that yeah, that's that, that's okay. that, that's like a starting point in this discussion um and uh and and the past has been that there has been innovation in the past like like massive massive innovation in the past uh one of those has been like the discovery of the the vacuum tube and the ability for the vacuum tube to be um developed in a way uh for it to be a extremely uh linear device yeah a linear device so way like really early on i don't i don't know when the date was when the 300b was developed in the 6sn7 western electric um but what a what a incredible amplification device for very early like was it like late twenties, thirties? We're talking sure. the theater times, you know. Yeah, right. What a, what an incredible discovery and and invention that is still today used in our hi fi systems, um, you know. Uh, and the the people that were working on that those kind of uh, discoveries um, are are uh are you know incredible innovators that were ability uh, they had a, a, a an incredible ability to think outside of the box and 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 get outside of the structure in their brain they didn't have a structure because it didn't exist yeah but what is what's hard is when you're in such a, a built-up structure that we are in now in audio, it's hard not to just get in development mode. It's hard not to just say, okay, the, the, this company has a solution for me here and I'm going to build a box here and I'm going to cram these drivers in here and then I'm going to optimize that. And it's easy to get in that mode and, and, um, and, and instead of escaping the realm of, of everything you know and trying to create something new and innovate. And so I, I think that, you know, a part of my, my hopes and dreams about the future is that we see, we see more innovation. We see another wave of innovation in audio. Yeah. And, uh, and I can't tell you how that looks like, but I, I hope uh, we see that. But So Google tells me uh, 1938 was the 300B, and it was Uh, introduced mm -hmm. by Western Electric to amplify telephone signals. Interesting. So what that tells me is that they saw a small problem and fixed it, and then that solution ended up having other applications that that ended up being the innovation, right? and I guess when you say it like that, it makes me wonder if some of the stuff that's 
produced as a solution in development for a topic or a time, uh, a, a, pro- a problem that only existed for a period of time yep. could serve as an innovation later if yeah. seen through different eyes. And we see, we see that, you know, I mean, as far as, you know, an innovation, for instance, that we've seen in recent times um, has been, uh, you know, digital audio and we've seen um, the Class D amplifier. Uh, to to technologies that dramatically solve you know some problems right they, yeah the, the problems that existed they and that that they targeted to solve they absolutely solved um, the class D amplifier removed heat increased uh, output power and digital audio made um, has done so much in our lives um, as yeah. far as making audio portable consistent um, consistent and consistent is a is a big one yeah. Um, and uh, and the portability aspect has been uh, absolutely revolutionary. Um, and so, uh, you know, but but all that was again, it was driven by other other things. You know, the Class D amplifier was driven by, um, uh, you know, switch mode power supply uh, development, and yeah. the fact that a Class D amplifier is essentially you know a switch mode power supply with a reference voltage that. That is the input signal. Yeah, right. Um, and and the um, and digital audio is something that spun out from from computers. You know, and and, and you know it wasn't the other way around. They didn't make computers for digital audio. It's like <laughs> there's like computers existed, and they were like, "Whoa, we could put audio in it." You know. Yeah. So, so a lot of times uh, the 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 advancements around us drive the audio stuff. But yeah. I think that there there's also there's the element of that that you have to innovate inside of audio as well. And and one example mm. of that is like the transducer, the the big thing we didn't even talk about, that they invented something called the speaker. Yeah. And like we talked on the last, or Chris mentioned on the last episode, the dynamic driver literally hasn't really changed. It's just been optimized. Yeah. Right? You, you Rice made this- and Kellogg, was that what he said? Invented the speaker? Oh, you have a be- now, better memory than me. Huh? Now, the question is, is if the microphone w- was invented before the speaker, like the cart before You're the just horse. saying, like, as far as the transducer. Just curious. Like, what, was, what was it? Just curious. Because um, I know the first microphone was basically a coil of wire around a, a nail, you know, yeah. basically. Well, uh, yeah, I, I think it was around the same time because you would have to have to have the speaker. You'd have to have the microphone, right? Right. <laughs> and if you have the microphone, was, how are you going to listen to what happens? Wasn't I mean, it? We're talking basically Edison days where you had yeah. um, the the horn. Wasn't the horn used? It was basically the same device. Yeah, you had a membrane on uh, at the throat of a horn, and then you had a the physical needle, needle on that yeah. membrane, and that was it. Yeah. yeah. And so the actual horn basically captured the audio and then it was played back on a similar system we have by the way an old edison uh turntable that used wax cylinders yeah uh, Mm -hmm. at the music room i don't know if we sold it yet i know Um, a little bit about that yeah i've seen that one before it's been it's been uh, finding a buyer for this is proving pretty tough um but it's it's just one of those things that's just like experiencing it with something else man like i've got a i've got a little story about that well okay so my story my brief story was it it came with this briefcase full of uh wax cylinders 
uh, inside of which had these labels that had like the the song and the lyrics. And uh, some of these songs were quite, quite insensitive, <laughs> quite, quite racist. Ooh. Oh, yeah. There was just like, it's just kind of harkened to old past. You, you, so so I'm, we're testing, we're working on this vintage machine. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful wood. It's got Edison on it. You know, like the history of it. It's like everything Everything's came from beautiful, this. Everything's beautiful. Everything's great. This and then you open it up have, and you play it. And it's, it's something great. just like, oh, no. <laughs> like, no, we cannot... We're not going to mention that one. Holy there. crap, We're not going to list that oh one. Oh, my that God. That's racist. crazy. So, it, oh you know, my God, a little blast that's of the past. Crazy. It was pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, times were different back then. Very you know? different. All right, what's your story um, about the Edison? <laughs> I'm going to pass on the story. Oh, okay. We're just going to move on. <laughs> we're going to move on from that thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, um, so 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 here we have a, a, a record player that is so different from record players that we have now. So this was a product that was conceived and then then constantly developed where there wasn't like some major, I mean, you know, when, when Columbia and RCA were battling over like who, who produces the stereo record first. Um, I think the word was, or was it capital? It was two competing places and one of them, I think it was RCA had actually invented stereo record records but it shelved it and then some other mm. company had come out and 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 produced an actual working version and then rca brought theirs off the shelf and that kind of thing gotcha was my gotcha. understanding but but um, it, either way like at some point there needs to be some massive innovation some discovery and along those along the way uh vacuum tubes were discovered um perhaps not for for audio use at first yeah. Um, but the 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 actual dynamic transducer was was produced for audio, obviously, and that was a giant leap in in the uh, in fidelity. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so you you know the Edison um, uh, phonographs did not use a dynamic driver. It was nope. like a horn attached to a, a freaking needle. You know. Yeah. A straight um, horn. Yeah. A conical horn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not. Very, very colored, if you will. Uh, sound. Yeah. Um, my, well, the, it is interesting that early transducers really visually and functionally like re- represent the same thing that they do today. Yeah, you just have you just have graphene nowadays. You have beryllium copper. Yeah. you have new materials and new implementation. But but we still have speakers that are. They're, you know, they use multiple drivers for in the majority of a full, uh, an actual full range speaker. Yep. We have multiple drivers to represent the different ranges. Um, and, and a big part of that is the answer to that is, well, physics. And, you know, you try yeah. beating physics. It's really difficult, you know. It's like defining gravity yeah. or yeah. something, you know. Oh, it's, sure. It's, it's extremely difficult to, to beat that. But... But that's the structure. That's that structure that's that you get away from. That you're you're stuck in the structure because yeah. you're still using dynamic drivers. Oh, and you're still and hobbled so, by the room. 
So mm-hmm. it doesn't, you know, you put these drivers in a cabinet and then ship them off in sayonara and everybody wants to listen to music in a room. For some reason, nobody wants to listen to music outdoors all the time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, there's a little weather thing. Yeah. Right. I forgot about rain. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, I think that that's what, when we got way off track, like that's where I was going was that somehow uh, a part of this needs to be that the transducer, you know, we need innovation in transducers. I mean, they're, yeah. they're, they're somewhat, the whole idea of the mechanical transducer is, is flawed. And yeah, we, we have come up with different ones like, you know, planar magnetic and, and, you know, plasma tweeters and all that. Right. And th- they all, you know, they had advantages over the traditional dynamic driver they also have uh, pitfalls, like pitfalls, the, like the um, the like, whole plasma, like Nelson and, and, and his uh, uh, his sensitivity to ozone. Now. Ozone thing. Uh, you told me that story. Yeah. That's hilarious. So there's there's a you can Google this. There's a great um, picture of Nelson Pass next to a full range plasma speaker. Right. <laughs> You're just like, oh, of course it's Nelson that would like go all the way, you know, with a foe. How 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 far can we push this? You know, kind of thing with with plasma. Can you just get like a scuba tank in there you know and like just yeah man listen. a yeah, rebreather you know? and just yeah. like not breathe it yeah <laughs> yeah run yourself so you've got your dedicated 20 amp power line you got your dedicated oxygen line from the yeah. outside low noise like that. low yeah. noise oxygen yeah, yeah. You, I, I don't know if skin is sensitive to ozone so maybe you just like a whole a whole suit that you wear where you just don't have any skin showing or something. Anyway, no, so Nelson... The rubber is going to be so loud that it's going to mess with Oh, but the rubber is going to be microphonic, the suit. Yeah, <laughs> damn it. All right. Uh, so Nelson, yeah, years ago, he, he he tried this, and then in 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 the course of the R&D, and then they, they pulled it off as a pretty, pretty interesting uh, full-range plasma speaker. But th- this whole experience left, left him with the... Uh, a, long-lasting sensitivity to ozone and and i my understanding is is that once you develop the sensitivity you become more sensitive with each exposure so it's the type of thing where nelson can't be in the same room as a as a plasma tweeter anymore you know and so okay so you've got plasma uh, that's that's arcing, and that is a a beautiful uh super fast super defined uh, impulse, what we call an audio, which is just like a moment in time. Some people, when they're trying to do impulse response, they'll bring a balloon and pop it. You know, that's that kind of fast mm-hmm. response. Mm-hmm. Um, what he's trying to do is get away from the 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 mass problem and get away from yeah. the the pressure problem, where whenever you have a cone that's moving on either side of the cone, there's pressure imbalances and mm. so that's going to cause uh, uh, you know have an effect on the movement of that concept yep you know um that's the kind of thing we're thinking about i guess when it comes to transducers is thinking outside of the the traditional sphere but what if yeah. we thought further outside where where there's no there's no distance between the transducer and you i um, think there's there's like uh different levels like i think there's like maybe a um uh, uh somewhat of a brain and uh transducer interaction device where you have a you have your speakers like you do now your system and then you have a um 
uh, a device that actually is connected to the auditory nerve that uh, inputs a, a, a an error correction signal from your basically your room and what it's picking your ears are picking up, and it's able mm. to actually cancel the room. So error correction, so it's leaving in place what the speakers are doing. Yeah. And, and that's interesting because my first thought when you started saying that was, why don't we just bypass the speakers and just have the source be producing this signal that's, that's received by the receiver mm. going into the auditory mm-hmm. Yeah. But that forgets that we're humans and we love to tweak. Yeah. Well, Always that, be tweaking, remember? The ABT? first part would be, would be that you have some sort of device that is able to be calibrated where it, it basically does an impulse response through your system and you sit there in your spot yeah. and it basically corrects it to different degrees and you can calibrate how that yeah. is done. And basically you control the room interaction around yeah. around it. That would be like an idea, you know? It's kind of like, a, um, uh, 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 I'm sorry, what, what, is, what is the Elon's company called? The um, Oh, his company with the brain implants? Yeah. I don't actually know. Um, um, but I know what you meant. I don't mean what you're talking about. Um, well, here we can look it up. Elon Musk brain implant. Well, it's not Tesla, but um, I can't believe I'm blanking on that. Anyways, um, um so, so something like something Neuralink. Like that. Neuralink. Yeah, so something like the Neuralink, where where the where it's already implanted in you for other reasons, and then now we have like some sort of, you know. Um, audio uh, use for it. And that's where, you know, some other invention, and then now we have an open area in audio to take advantage of it. Yeah, right. Or it's a next step further, which is that you remove, uh, fix the transducer issue, okay, straight to the auditory nerve. And then we start having uh, uh, software where we, where we interact with the room. And so you, you yeah. can actually start getting spatial cues and all that, uh, uh, but then straight to the auditory nerve as well and some sort of differential signal between between the room between and Between the two so that you have a little bit of room, a little bit of perfection. Yeah. Here's the thing so, is, that, is that like having speakers in a room and, and in a spot fits more into us as humans in, in our desire to move around and have free will so you need you need to go to the kitchen music still playing right now you go to the kitchen and it's not even close to what your sweet spot is but you can appreciate your system from through filtered through several rooms of of like of you know boundaries and physics and that kind of thing and you could say oh that's pretty that's pretty good in here like it's Mm -hmm. not too bad um all that be gone um trying to think of like other people sitting in the room they don't have the sweet spot it's like if you if you dial in your sweet spot with your receiver uh based on your room this is this is basically like next level dsp you're you're still dialing it in for one spot so you have a super sweet spot. And then what else? Well, the what else could still be what we have now, and that's not a bad second fiddle in terms of like, you know, okay, we're really trying to dial in the the sweetest spot to make it even sweeter. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel so much that none of this other stuff is possible. Like you can't mm-hmm. go into the next room and enjoy kind of like a 
next room sound. Yeah. You can't bring in a bunch of people and, and show, show off something and, and most of them get most of what you're, you're, you're talking about because they're not in the sweet spot or whatever. So the, the next thing uh, that I want to talk about is uh, essentially like the idea of using uh, hearing aids um, in aiding our systems. Um, and also the idea that right now hearing aids are seen as something that is not cool. It's something that you know, oh, you have, you're old or you have some sort of hearing deficiency. Well, you know, glasses were turned into something really cool. And, you know, it's a, it's just that we tend to have, uh, um, you know, sight deficiencies early in age. And so therefore Mm. more people got glasses and then it was like, oh, let's make them stylish. Well, yeah. My question would be, why not make hearing aids stylish? Because there's a lot of cool things that, that can come about it. And you're starting to see that in newer headphones, uh, like, like, you know, Apple earbuds and stuff like that. They have microphones on them. They're essentially hearing aids in some way. If they had DSP built into them, uh, or a better microphone or uh, different feedbacks and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. They would, um, it would be essentially like uh, having um, hearing aids. And so, and so I think that another opportunity for high-end audio is to have this feedback system I was talking about before, but with some specific hearing aid device that you put in your ear and it actually will work with room issues um, with your speakers. Yeah. Yeah, maybe even self-calibrate, you know, because um, that's kind of one of the main hurdles with the DSP stuff now is is the uh, the effort to calibrate and the fact that uh, the auto-calibration DSP stuff is not very good these mm-hmm. days. It's it's just not there yet. Um, <clears throat> there, there are a lot of advancements in hearing aid science right now uh yeah. one of the things they're doing is is um lately in that they never did before and and i think part of the stigma of hearing aids has to do with with the the um limited technology available b- before yes <clears throat> so it's like <clears throat> excuse me it's it's one microphone it's one speaker it's one bandwidth it's it's it is what it is it it suffers from feedback when you're you're on the phone or you've got any kind of or you're too close to a wall or something too close to a wall yeah Mm -hmm. um it 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 has uh the levels are not self-adjusting so you have guys like twisting things in their ears just to be able to hear um and the actual users have to put up with a with a bunch of terrible sound well nowadays uh there's there's really great in-ear transducers, uh, multi-armature transducers in some of these hearing aids. There's um, one of the coolest things are these octave-based multi-band compressors. So they're they're yeah. now approaching things octa- by octaves like the ear does. So the cochlear cochlea mm. actually has things segmented by octaves, and uh, and so they have octave to octave. Uh, multi-band compressors so compressor just like your your auditory system so we're we're getting a a lot closer to that point where where these things are actually like um a a more enjoyable experience just think about what could be done in in the future you know yeah because the the first thing 
the first step is, oh, can we correct the people who have deficiencies mm-hmm. in hearing? The next thing is, wow, these things take average hearing and make it even better. Yeah. Can we improve you know, can we on improve everyone's experience everyone's in a experience. room? And the answer to that is probably pretty easily because yeah. the room is so messed up yeah, that that's the it thing. doesn't take much. As soon as you get that technology to some degree, it's going to start being a thing where where uh we're like we're calling a hearing aid but we'd have some other you know slick name hearing for enhancer it. you know yeah. it's like my my my, my ear jams my eye aid <laughs> yeah. let me put on my eye aids yeah your eye aids yeah, you're wearing you know, your it's eye like, aids no, it's, over my gla- there. it's my it's my glasses right, man. It's right. My, my specs you know, my yeah. specs yeah my spectacles Interesting. um so so you know like we need to make it cool and also um, it, you know, uh, as far as in the audiophile world, I feel like it's somewhat taboo to have hearing aids or something like that. You know, that people are worried about that. Yeah. And you shouldn't be. Yeah. And also, if you have a hearing deficiency, hearing aids can greatly enhance your experience and, enjoy- and enjoyment in your system. It's probably like the best money to put towards your system if you have if you go to the doctor yeah and, better and you find out that you have a hearing deficiency yep. he, uh, hearing aids and and specifically ones meant for for music they do have ones that are higher end yeah um now and and those devices will will um or is probably the best uh, money that you can put towards your system yeah and so we're already seeing that oh yeah it's just that we need to make it, yeah, the, the technology needs to come a little bit further. Um, and also um, hearing aids becoming more specific in that we've optimized it for audio. Yeah. Right? Because right now that's not the purpose. Right now I want to I wanna make sure you can hear what Speech. that other person is saying. Speech. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so uh, as, as, as long as we can kind of move towards optimizing them for audio, I think... I think that's a part of the future. Uh, we'll we'll definitely see it. So both you and I. So I I have an idea um, for the future, but and both of ours are an attempt to allow people to still listen in a room, but try to fix that. You know, take the room out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as we know, DSP in the last twenty years has been focused on trying to do that, and and it's one attempt, and it is it can be pretty good. Um, we've talked about it at length on this podcast. It's it can be tough to set up, e- even in today's day and age. If if you're not doing an an auto adjustment kind of routine that's already been programmed and stuff, and and like I just mentioned, those are still pretty uh, elementary when it comes to comparing that against a human brain that's got um, a, a lot of trained listening. Uh, and, and, you know, focus tweaking and that kind of thing. Um, you know, when it comes to DSP, we'll, we'll run a sweep, but we still kind of fine tune to our ears, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's still better. Okay. My, my idea that, that I kind of came up with when you and I were talking about this before was, was a new transducer based around something called, um, magnetic ferrofluid. Um, Audiophiles might have heard of ferrofluid because there's lots of tweeters that are ferrofluid cooled. I don't know if the ferrofluid in tweeters is the same as some of this black stuff that people are making online. It's very it's very difficult to make this uh, in a DIY setting. You have to be a, pr- a pretty good chemist, but you can make this magnetic fluid. 
It's called, they call it ferrofluid. It's, uh, it can take any shape based on a magnetic field that's, that's applied to it. And it, and it, I mean, it can come 3d out. So it can be a dish of liquid and then apply a certain magnetic, um, feel to it and it springs to life and looks like a flower and it's eight eight inches tall i mean it's coming right out of the dish and it, and it can change in a moment's notice so i i had an idea of like what if we had full walls or like these giant panels on walls that are that are this magnetic fluid and we applied um we applied magnetic fields to them to 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 this wall um, to make these protrusions that create waves when they protrude and then they retract. And what we can do, because it's all very finely controlled, is is start learning how to create the fundamental wave and then create the correction waves. So you can have a, a wave front that's developed from this expansion of the ferrofluid because of a, a magnetic field and then right next to it you can have a, a, a different shape that creates a different wave front so maybe like a concave shape next to a convex shape where shape where you're creating a positive wave front and then right next to it you create a smaller negative wave front that's like positioned or shaped in a way to to I- I- interact with or or maybe like control that that dominant fundamental wave and so through that experience you can actually like work with room dimensions and try to remove the room interaction and make more perfect sound is that like a a form of feedback like that second wave it's like it's it's meant to correct the distortion of the transducer yeah but you're but you're generating it at the same time um as the main signal so it's for uh, it's feed forward kind of a little correction. bit yeah, yeah. It's, it's got elements of that it's got elements of of the the noise canceling stuff that we do right now where we inject negative waves uh that correspond to to external noise into music so that when you hear both the music and the external noise only one is canceled out yeah um so well, we know, know now if there's a company that starts Fair fluid. Audio. I start seeing this, and and you know, I've got it got on record. This, yeah, we've got this. That on I record. invented it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but it's it's still it's still approaching audiophiles where they are today, which is that we listen to music in rooms. Yep, and and trying to solve those those chief problems, which is that the room is killing this music. Yeah, <laughs> and the yeah. drivers and the source yeah, it, and the everything. But yeah, and and you know, I think that's the right thinking is is trying to you know rethink the transducer and re- think about the big stuff. Is what when I think about the future as far as way out, that's that's the way I start thinking. Yeah. You know, I don't think about oh, like we've made a better amplifier that sounds better. No, it's like there's some large you know, innovation yeah. happening. Uh, we've changed, we've gotten away from uh, the mechanical, um, electromechanical speaker, you know, and we've, we've moved towards something that is, is vastly superior in the way that it can produce waves in the room. And then we've gotten into accepting DSP and how that interacts with our brain and our, our having correction signals in our ears for, yeah. for our room. Yeah. So you got to, you got to deal with the transducer and you got to deal with the room. And the obvious solution for the room in the end, I think, is going to be 
some sort of error correction. Uh, either you put it in your ear or it's something like you, it works with your Neuralink or something like that. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. So if you're listening in 2040, you know. <laughs> and we contact, were right. Contact me. Let us know. You know <laughs> yeah. Through whatever device that you use at this time. Travel back to the past so, and then tell us we were on the right track. And yeah. And we'll spend all our time with that. Um, but um, I think the next part, I just want to have a quick discussion about, yeah. you know, like as far as what's in the near future. Yeah. Let's go back where to is, more of the near. Where is hi-fi going right now? I mean, we're, we're seeing, one thing is that we're seeing these... Um, you know, DSP based speakers like, um, like key and, um, Dutch and Dutch. Yeah. And, uh, it, uh, which are active monitors that use DSP built into them. And so that, that has been, you know, when you use the word future Fi, that has been kind of the, one of the definitions yeah. for future Fi, a speaker that has everything built in and you can connect it to your Wi-Fi and start streaming a room directly to it. It's got six. The key, the key three has six drivers, six amps, mm-hmm. and all optimized for each other. They're they're doing a bunch of things that are that are forward thinking. That are saying, "Well, we can do this now. So why don't we?" You know, like mm-hmm. six six amps for six drivers. Yeah. Um, you just start. You're running. You start running into some of the basic problems. Yeah. That's what's interesting. Is it's like, well, you know, you're you're stuck to class D. You have to be class D. Um, yeah, you have to. That's be. a that's uh, an when you issue. Have that many to, drivers yeah. or that many amplifiers in in a single cabinet like that. Yep. Um, and uh, and then you're stuck with uh, you're stuck with DSP and and we talked a little bit about DSP in the last episode about you know um, some of the the shortcomings in DSP aren't necessarily in the digital domain. It is the uh, conversion processes to get analog to digital and then digital back to analog right that is expensive to do and so you know you start running into those issues but anyways um i think you know that is definitely one of the newest products that i have heard about in high-end audio that has started to to get momentum yeah and um and people people like it you know yep yeah i think we're gonna start seeing more more companies come out with fully active integrated designs that essentially just connect to your network. Yeah. They have an app or they're controlled via Rune and you you plug them into the wall, you turn them on and you mate with them and then you start streaming to them. And auto correction is just going to get better. People are going to focus on that for a while and try to make auto the the auto calibration of this yeah. uh, more ideal. Yeah, and if you want to learn more about that, um, actually, uh, if you haven't heard the last episode, uh, go back to the last episode with Chris Brunhaver, and he actually uh, uh, has a really interesting um, opinion about um, you know calibration in DSP and all that. So yeah. he he he, uh, he told us a, a lot of interesting things about that. Oh, it's always great. Uh, we love Chris is our kind of our go to, uh, you know. A pseudo third third member of this podcast i mean it's just as <laughs> as anyone who's listened to that episode knows it's just an encyclopedic uh library there he's yep. he's you, you mention a product and the guy's like oh yeah i talked to the guy who made that you know back in the day <laughs> um well um but you know yeah i think that uh 
I think auto is going to get better because we're really trying to, um, uh, we see these advancements. So, so I, at the music room, I, I deal with stuff, um, from every era of hi-fi audio. Like I mentioned, we have this Edison phonograph player and then I have brand new products. Well, I've, I've been dealing with and having to try to test and understand, you know, old DSP stuff for, for a while. I mean, I, old, old Meridian stuff. I, I'll, I'll spend an hour trying to get this thing to mm. make sound and it's mm. so complex. It's got a manual an inch mm. thick. That's a good point <clears throat> is that as DSP uh, matures that it will become easier to use. Gosh, so much. So, yeah. Yeah. And so ease more people can use it or yeah. everybody can use it, you yeah. know, and, and maybe it'll even be smart in itself. I mean, there's, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, don't they have, they have some device like Google or Apple has some device that Apple actually, so, actually looks at the room. So they, 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 they made huge waves about having, snagging all these patents for for that so they have like they'll have like multiple multiple drivers in this little speaker and multiple Mm. multiple microphones in all different directions and it has them all you know the speaker next to the microphone thing actually with software that's been messed around with for a while Mm. there's and i'm not i'm not going to be able to come with some googling i can come up with it but there's a company that 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 has this product that is just like a speaker and a mic bundle and then software, and mm-hmm. you can buy as many of those bundles as you want. It showed this room with 16 of them, so mm-hmm. they were matrixed out, these 16. And then what they did was they, with, through the software, they'd say, church hall, uh, large. And and being in the room sounded like a church hall. So you go mm-hmm. clap your hands, yeah. the microphones would pick it up, then they'd do the processing and then play over the speakers all the ambient decay that you might have in a church hall right and you're in a small room and it's just a mind-bending experience yeah but that's the type of you know advancements that that will really impact people's lives is 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 not only uh pushing the front end of this Mm -hmm. but also pushing the back end of making it easier so push the Mm -hmm. front end of like what's possible and then and then bring up the rear of like okay well only a small segment of the population is going to be able to put up with the sh- stuff required to like get this thing to work. So <clears throat> make it easier, make it easier, make it easier. And then through hand in hand, those two processes, um, who knows where it'll bring us in the future. Yeah. And I, I think that um, in, in the high end, you know, industry in the high end audio industry, um, one of the challenging things about pushing the envelope is that a lot of companies don't want to, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, take the risk. Yeah, sure. They really oh. don't want to take the risk, and so yeah. what's what's uh, what's taking a risk? Is the SACD. That's that's a risk. Um, we are company? introducing yeah. this format that is multi-channel. That mm. you need you need uh, you know five boxes in your room plus a sub um, to get the full experience. And we expect you to sit there and listen to listen to SACDs in multi-channel. Look, not many people have heard SACD multi-channel, multi-channel. done right. Yeah, right, done right. Yeah, it is so 
unbelievably good. You don't want to know how good it is because you'll get depressed about your stereo. Yeah, right. Um, it, it, it was an incredible technology. And so here's an example. You create the technology. You got the technology. Yeah. It's amazing. What makes it amazing? Is it the DSD? Uh, yeah, it, it, like DSD has its advantages, yeah. you know, but the multi-channel aspect was the breakthrough and also getting it in front of mastering engineers that knew how to actually use that. And, and recording so engineers SACDs, the that way that they were mastered right. were excellent. Yeah, ambient yeah. information in the back channels, in classical recordings, getting the back wall yeah. of the... Of the um, of the concert hall in in the rear and the orchestra being actually centered correctly um, in front of you, um, it was an it was an innovation in that way, but it wasn't practical. Like people couldn't scale that. Like yeah, especially audiophiles for every audiophile that owns, you know, a, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull this out. A Wilson or Focal speaker can't afford five of them. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Like a yeah. majority yeah. of people that have that level of stereo system, there's no way that you could replicate five of it. Yeah. And then have the space to have all that and have all space the amps around and your cables and exactly. converters and get and out so of here. And so to scale it to an audiophile level, yeah. it wasn't practical, so it failed. Yeah. If it right. was practical and it brought that big of an improvement that it really does when you do scale SACD on that level it would have been successful in the audiophile world. Not, you know, not in the consumer electronics industry. Yeah, audiophiles are asking a lot, though, because get yourself a Bose Acoustamass system, and you got your little Bose cubes, and you've got your big Bose subwoofer, and there you go, uh, mainstream audience, you're welcome. You know, here's (laughs) your multi-channel. But then, is it good enough to show off the magic of that format Hell no. It has nothing to do with with a really great demo of that done right, which yeah. is just, of course, like you mentioned, it's, staggering it's, it's, to it's, set up on your it's own. It's absolutely amazing. It so. solves so many issues that we talk about here every day, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, uh, the, 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 the issue of a sweet spot isn't there anymore. Like anywhere in the room just sounds like musicians playing. When it's a really nice SACD setup. Are and we, I, I are we even going to be able to like like take advantage of or or appreciate or use the the next innovation or are we just yeah. going to like it's going to be too impractical or is it going to be gonna another sac it's going to die yeah so that's that's the that's kind of the point i'm, I'm making here is that's that, a good point is that you know like it, just because we come up with something revolutionary i do think that multi-channel sacd the way that it was done the way that it was a lot of them were mastered and that unique um, channeling of we're making this for audiophiles, this format, yeah, um, right. was a unique thing. Tiny little uh, group, and and it just wasn't practical. So the boat sank. Um, and also, a guy named Steve Jobs came out with the iPod right, um, right after that, and uh, yeah, <laughs> it didn't fare well. What so. you actually want is all your music in your back pocket. Yeah, don't worry that it's MP3. Shh. It's amazing going okay. back to that video. He goes. 5,000 uh, albums in your pocket or something yeah, like that. Yeah, you know, it's crazy, like, <laughs> crazy. It's like back then that was amazing, right? And you know what's funny? Uh, I forgot to mention this when you were answering our question for, for Andrew about uh, turntables and you started getting into buying vinyl. Is that, is that for each vinyl purchase, 
that is the same amount of money as a month of streaming access, unlimited streaming yeah. access to any to all the world's music. Well, it's essentially it's true. Um, and and it's uh, again, it's not uh, it's not a cheap way of reproducing music. No, you know, and it's it's very much so the way that you know a- analog can be so incredible, and you can you can get just absolutely engaging musical sound that is just so uh, uh, addictive, but it does cost a lot of money. It does require a lot of setup. Um, And it is very much so like that really high-end watch. There is a part of it of when you do get to that level that you're just like, wow, how is it doing this? I'm, I'm literally taking a needle and I'm dragging it across a piece of vinyl, plastic, yeah, and and I'm getting something that beats this like multi thousand dollar piece yeah. of technology, a computer, and it's quite amazing feat. And that's what that's kind of what the high end watch world is about. And it's kind of similar to that in in, a, in an incredible mechanical device like a very very high end turntable. So um, you know what good vinyl does to you is it surprises you, mm-hmm. um, and and I want to drill into that just really briefly i think it it has the potential to activate your flight or fight response because you're so surprised that 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 big dynamics or that singer is actually coming out at you so strongly that it that it's like if you're used to digital your whole life a really good analog rig will scare you almost Mm -hmm. right so so what it does is it taps into to an evolutionary like really base deep human thing where where the the best vinyl some of the reason that it's so good is is these dynamics where from nothing it just is everything and then nothing again and some little thing will start and then the singer will come out and you just you're taken aback and you're, you're actually forced to kind of like, like it affects you, yep. you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, makes me wonder if, if advancements, advancements in the future are going to need to have that because that's part of the allure of being an audiophile. Yeah. And so, so it can't be this, this really sweet, you know, uh, soft pillow and, uh, you know, ride into the future of like, everything's going to be so pleasant. Um, it's got to have some nastiness. It's got to have all the things that make us want to be human and stuff. Um, yep. And it's got to do that. So it's really interesting competing interests that, that, that are in play when, it, when you start thinking about the future of this. Yeah, and I think we're still in the age of where um, cheap, cheap, analog, or cheap analog to digital converters and cheap digital to analog converters um, are very poor in quality. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so we're seeing a lot of home studios. Um, actually, I, I heard Paul say this the other day, and I, I just couldn't agree with him more, is that, you know, people, everybody today thinks that they're a mastering engineer or thinks that they're a recording engineer, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's like, oh, I built this, oh, we're a band and we built our own studio and we're just throwing this together. The and, last two and, bands that I mastered actually are were self recorded. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's happening. It's not it's not a you know it's not a uh, it's not like 
a uh, a uh, like a negative. It's trend? not like a negative no, thing no, towards towards them. It's something that uh, that it's it's. Uh, I understand why they want to do that, but the difference between throwing your own studio together and going to a professional studio that has really really high end gear yep. and has has the knowledge there to to mic you correctly and and has a, a really great room that's diffused correctly and all that has the correct acoustics um that is priceless and i just i just think that a lot one of the big problems with with um with digital is is the um is the equipment in the studio is that a lot yeah. of the old recordings that you hear that are remastered to vinyl today that never touched digital they never went through a converter yeah they don't have to right and so you never heard that you never heard that converter and then also back then if it's frank sinatra or or you know um ella fitzgerald or something like that it's like those are like the best recording studios in the world and they had like you know really nice ampex machines and all that and so a lot of old music it's kind of counterintuitive but Somehow they skipped the the amateur hour stuff, yeah. and it just had to be. It was either it was so cooked <laughs> back then that you you wouldn't want to release that yeah. on on you know consumer grade equipment, or it was stuff like Ampex tape machines yeah. and really high end tube mic preamps and stuff. Right. So right. it was kind of more geared towards audiophiles, where now. You can kind of buy this uh, $99 does everything with some sliders on it and USB to your computer and then pick up some sure microphones and stuff like that. And yeah, you got yourself a studio. Right. But um, but it's also uh, not showing what our amazing format uh, can do. Uh, in, in, um, you know, 2496 is just capable of of so much. Um, Yeah. And we have yet to hear. Uh, what digital can bring to the table. We have yet yeah. to hear it because there's a lot more in that and our recordings are, are the limitation. Man, we could, uh, we could go for a ways, um, but I, I like where we've gone with this discussion and uh, it's getting late. I need to go take out the dog um, and, uh, and maybe even do some soldering before I go to bed tonight. I don't, know, we'll see. <laughs> don't be um, too tired now. Just in the back yeah. of my mind, I'm like, oh, I really want to terminate those new cables and like lengthen them, but <laughs> I, I, I won't, I shouldn't. I, I've been going to bed so late cause my system sounds so good. I've just been de- depriving That's myself. That's the true test is when you're staying up late for the late night. Every single night. I'm the just, late night sessions. That's, that's when you know you're really on I gotta stop. Yeah, I gotta go to bed <laughs> early tonight. All right. Well, um, thanks for listening to our discussion about Future Fi. It's just yep. um, we, we got out there, you know? but I think I think yeah, we explored yeah. some cool territory. Yeah, and if and if and if any of you have any uh, any further ideas about this, maybe this will be an an ongoing topic for us. You know, um, please feel free to to just email uh, hi-fi at outlook dot com and and let us know what you thought. Uh, give us some of your ideas, and and maybe we'll we'll. Uh, we'll reconvene with this and, and chat about some of those ideas, but all right. We have arrived at the album recommendation of the week. week. So last week uh, you chose one um, and you, you gave me the choice this week. Um, And, and I started looking at some stuff that, 
that only only I've listened to, but I, I just really enjoy it when it when you and I both know an album and we just mm-hmm. kind of like are able to really, you know, uh, connect on that and just just agree. Um, and so going through my library, I, I realized, oh, there's this one that I've been meaning to mention that you cued me clued me in on um, a, a long time ago, and that it has become a staple in my library, and uh, as is kind of the way things go with today's digital age of streaming and, and access um, from time to time, you've kind of forgotten about this album. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll mention, Oh, Lassa, Lassa's album or Lassa de Sela. And you're like, wait, which one? And then I bring up the album. And you're like, uh, and then I was like, Oh, this track. And you're like, Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah that, 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 mm-hmm. that's how I deal with like half of my digital audio knowledge. Um, but but this is such an amazing album. Oh yeah, so amazing, really great. And uh, we spent some time listening to it tonight, and and it's just just incredible. So uh, there's a musician, a, a lady named Lassa Lassa de Sela, and um, her first album uh, came out. I, I believe it was called um, just Lassa. Um, I think that one. I'm looking at dates right here, but she. Uh, she came out with an album, um, and it's it's kind of wide ranging. But she's a singer, um, she, just a beautiful voice. And then she's got uh, lots of different accompaniment based on the type of music that that you know is incorporated in the, the specific song that you're listening to. So um, I think her genre, she was kind of pegged as the world genre. Um, she speaks French, she speaks Spanish, and she speaks English. So. Um, many of her albums are, you know, just go back and forth between those three and, you know, um, and, uh, she came out with this album. It, uh, it was released to critical acclaim. She, she critics really loved it. Um, she, it actually sold a lot of copies. She, she be, just became famous from this album. And, uh, from what I understand from the liner notes of the album that, that I, that I want to feature this week, um, she, and it doesn't say why just listening to her music, you would imagine that she's got very interesting reasons for, for doing this. But, but right after her first album was released and she was gaining notoriety, uh, she and some family, family members joined the circus and started touring with this circus. And I, I don't know what she did. It doesn't tell us probably hopefully sang, but sounds maybe, pretty cool. Maybe she was the bearded lady. Maybe, maybe she was like the strong woman. I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? More interesting than my life. <laughs> exactly. Not knowing I think is, is the most interesting. Uh, thing. Of course. Let's keep it that way. She just joined the circus. And then, uh, as you do, uh, you know, after becoming <laughs> a, a, a famous musician, but, um, <laughs> This so she penned uh, new tracks for a new album while she was on the road, and so this album is called "The Living Road," and these are the songs that uh, that she came up with while she was uh, um, working for the circus. Uh, so, uh, as always on our website, we're going to have, uh, the front page is going to feature this album. I'll, I'll write some words about it, but then our albums page is going to have this album. Um, so it, you know, you can listen to it now, but if you forget to write it down, um, you can find out how to spell her name and, and, and what, look at the album art and, and help yourself identify this album by just going to our website, which is www.thehifipodcast.net 
and uh and the albums page is where this will live as we as we keep moving on and and next week we have a different album of the week but um yeah what what do you, what do you think about this album i mean it's it's just well, it's uh first thing is that <clears throat> i actually only knew two songs um from it and i i think i showed you two songs that i two had songs. anywhere on this road and, and my name Okay, two English yeah. English songs on this, and album. that's the that's the only songs I knew um, because uh, actually a coworker of mine in the past uh, showed it to me, and uh, and I did, had never listened to the rest of the album, and uh, just before we started this cast, we listened to some of the other yeah. songs, and yeah. and I really like a lot of the other songs, but yeah. as far as those two songs that um, that you just named. Um, they uh they're very audiophile great you know? demo like, this tracks is like demo tracks yeah, yeah yeah and which one is it is it my name that has the drum like the really dun, dun, low yeah okay dun, dun, so guys this is a yeah. really really great track um and but it's a testing track it's a very difficult and challenging track to pull off in your system so um this should sound skinny um like the skin of a drum and uh and it should actually have some sort of 3d aspect to it yeah um it's going to show off any sort of uh big resonant modes in your room um any sort of subwoofer uh integration issues it's going to more so boom um and kind of sound like a bunch of bass uh but really it should be like this uh coherent drum that is almost 3d in in ways yeah you can um, picture the drum it's big you know it's a big it's, drum yep. hit on the side or boom, something yeah you know kind of thing and uh and so you know it's a testing it's a really really big test it's a it's a hard one to pull off um and uh and so yeah just uh you know if you do have a subwoofer setup it, perhaps it's a good track to you know um dial dial the the subs in a little bit yeah more. yeah and yeah. the in the crossover point uh yep. you can kind of tell if it's a little bloated in terms uh from that that drum um i think my favorite track so the, so my name that that track is track nine track six is la frontera uh which is just this yeah beautiful little musically i never really appreciated her until i heard so some of these good. other songs musically this is my you know? favorite song because those those yeah, the my name is a pretty high fi thing, but yeah. but the re- the rest of the album, man, there's some really great musical moments. Yeah, on you it. didn't hear Abrola Ventana. You know, you need to hear that one. Um, uh, small song is really good. Um, she just writes a small song about writing a small song. It's pretty cool. <laughs> um, great album, anyways, uh, top to bottom. Um, her voice is just spectacular, and the so. re- the recording is incredible. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, enjoy that, y'all. Um, again, we'll have that at uh, podcast.net. And with that, this has been one more episode of The Hi-Fi Podcast with Darren and Duncan. I'm Duncan. I'm Darren. And we will catch you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. The Hi-Fi Podcast with Darren and Duncan is produced by Darren Myers and Duncan Taylor and is copyright 2020 of Slope Productions. The intro and outro music is provided by Denver's Color Red Studios and features the song Bangs by the band Many Colors.